when our children were really young, Beth and I toured a small private school and were interested in that place. And the director took us around and she said something that gave us cause for pause. She said, we try to instill in our students the, uh, the, the, the remembrance that God is always watching. Now, she didn't say this like in a comforting way, like his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. She said it more like the supervisor in that movie Monsters, Inc., the supervisor of Wazowski. I'm watching Wazowski, always watching. You know, it's sort of like, sort of like um, J.B. Phillips's book, Your God is Too Small. The ideas that we get, the emotional pictures we get of God sometimes come from people intending good things, but planting a real evil seed about what God is really like. Sometimes people have the picture or they put God into the box that he's sort of a waiter, you know, just kind of picture the garçon, you know, sort of the draped napkin here, towel. What can I get for you today, madam? Just when we want something, we appeal to him. And that creates an emotional sort of picture, a box that we put God in. And some people picture him as sort of this bearded, sagacious, you know, uh, prophet on a distant hill or the, the old man in the sky, right? Somebody that gives us a little sort of distant sense of comfort, but not really relatable. And sometimes, as in the case of that little school, we leverage the idea that God is a sheriff, right? Just waiting for you to mess up, keep you in line. Fear and guilt can be like rocket fuel as motivators. It burns hot, but it burns out fast. It doesn't last very long. It can motivate. It can motivate action, motivate behavior. It can motivate giving, but it doesn't last very long, and it creates some resentment. I think what, what we're going to see in this passage is that when the truth sets us free, we move from being should-do people to get-to people. How do you move from being somebody who's just, it's all about what I should do, that faith and, and church and the obligations and responsibilities are all about should-do, right, and become a get-to person. How do you become that? How do you know, in other words, that the truth has set you free? And the answer is, you freely give. From the Word of God, John 18, verses 31 through 38, this is the passage where Pilate and Jesus are encountering one another. And, um, and, and we pick things up in the middle of their conversation. John 18, 31 to 38. 
Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us now that we may not only understand your word, but receive it so that we may live it in Jesus' name. Amen. John Wesley said the last part of the Christian to be converted is the wallet. It's the wallet. Now, I understand that. I understand that, um, that it's hard to give things up. But generosity is not mainly about money. It's about the whole. It's about everything from your tone of voice, the way you greet somebody, to your life goals. And so giving is of our time and talent and treasure. That's, that's really the fruit of a generous spirit. A generous spirit. I know somebody who... Uh, who has a life goal, for example, of giving a million dollars away in his lifetime. That's pretty amazing. Where does that come from? That means that's somebody who's not a should do. I mean, can you imagine having a goal for, to give away a million dollars and say, you know, I just should do that. I just should do that. This is a get-to person, not a should-do person. A get-to person. This is somebody who who understands what Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. This is Eugene Peterson's translation of it. This is somebody who understands the truth and how it sets you free. It says this. You'll recognize the pa- passage. It's a paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms 
of grace. I hope you never hear in this church, intentionally or unintentionally, that God has given all. And so we should give some. God has freely given to make us free to give. So how do you know the truth has set you free? How do you know the truth has set you free? How do you know? It's because you have received from the source the whole of life and the joy of giving. That's a sermon in a sentence, and we're going to unpack it. You've received, you have received from the source the whole of life and the joy of giving. Let's take a look. First, to receive from the source means that you have confidence that your life, that your life comes from somewhere, that there's a source. That it's not just sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives, right? It's more like a stream of living water. This is your experience when you have received life from God, from the source. A confidence that God provides. God wants that for you. To have a confidence That life, although fleeting, has a source. Verse 36, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not from this world. Another translation says of this world. It's because the the, the word there is out of. It's not out of. It's not of the same substance. It doesn't have the same source. It's not from or made or it wasn't originating and originated of the stuff of this world. And Pilate, he seems to have some, he, you know, he's the governor of Judea, right? And he reports to Tiberius Caesar. And he's sort of between this rock and a hard place. And he, he needs to, to both respect the, uh, the, 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 the authority of the Jews because they are the predominant um, people of that region. But at the same time, He's a secular person. He doesn't have the categories for what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't understand fully what's going on. He doesn't understand the conflict. So he seems to have some sympathy and some respect for the person in front of him. But he doesn't understand what he's saying. He sort of writes, oh, okay, you're a philosopher. I see you're a philosopher. Kind of sort of what what his whole posture towards Jesus amounts to. He's a pragmatist, you see. He's a materialist. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not out of this world, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a box for that. He doesn't have a category for that. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to think that through. He is, is somebody who has the power of this world and its levers, and he has an ethic that is Machiavellian, a Machiavellian ethic and a worldly power. This is what, these are the tools that Pilate is working with. And he's trying to figure this out. How do I get out of this thing? Because there are pressures locally, there are pressures nationally, and I've got to figure out how do we get out of this? And so he is standing there in the midst of this conflict, and he's missing the best stuff. 
because he only knows material. He only knows what he can see. He only knows how to pull the levers of power. He cannot understand what Jesus is saying. My power, my kingdom, my rule is not of this world. It's not out of this world. He said, we miss the best stuff when we only just take things at face value. We know this you know, interpersonally on a human level, that we miss the best stuff when we just take things at face value, when we either naively or negligently listen to what somebody says and think, oh, that's, that's just the long and short of it. Oh, Jesus, you must be a philosopher. We know this on a human level, that if you just take somebody at their word and say, well, that's it, instead of recognizing there's probably more to the iceberg underneath the surface. You know, imagine like a father getting tickets for his son, for his friends. It's a big game. Maybe a, one of the games yesterday, right? I don't know, some of y'all had some investment in what happened yesterday. Big investment in what happened yesterday. Imagine you got tickets for, uh, for your son or daughter. Maybe the, you, you had them. And, or, or, or the father comes down, and it's Saturday morning, and it's time to go, and, and the son says, the, the father says, shouldn't you get going? I mean, you want to get there for the tailgate. And, and the son just says, oh, I, I don't really feel like going. Can you imagine the father just saying, oh, okay, just doesn't feel like going. There's more to the story, right? There's a reason. There's something going on there. There's a conflict with his friends. I mean, you can sort of backfill the story. There's more in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophies, Horatio. Shakespeare said, there's more going on under the surface. Of course, we know this interpersonally. We know that the best stuff in life is intangible. We know that the most important things that are going on cannot be measured we know that even in a simple scenario like that, there, there's more to the story. But Pilate isn't interested. He hasn't received life from the source, you see. He just knows how to pull the material levers of power. But how powerful is it when you know that God provides? How powerful is it when you know that your life is more like a flowing stream than sands through the hourglass, a diminishing resource. How powerful is it when you know the source of life? And not just the part of life, this is step two, the whole of life, right? The whole of it, you've received from the source the whole of life, not just the part, not just on the periphery is your faith, your beliefs, but the center Shaping, bringing shape to everything, all the circumference of life. Pilate says to Jesus, am I a Jew? <laughs> Jesus, of course, is questioning him. He answers a question for a question. There's so many questions in this passage, you can't even keep up with it. It's just question, 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 question. He says, why have you brought, been brought to me? He, Jesus says, did somebody, are you, a, are you king? Jesus says, did somebody else tell you that? Or did, did, uh, did you come up with that yourself? And he says, am I a Jew? Why is he saying that? Because he's looking at his faith, at, at what Jesus represents, at that everything that's going on in that region, just in terms of some custom or tradition. Almost like, you know, some people, Americans, celebrate a special day, November 25th, right? The, four, the fourth Thursday of every 
uh, of every uh, November. And we eat turkey. Well, some people eat turkey. I found out that some of you don't eat turkey. Some of you eat something else, like, you know, beef. I mean, uh, is that even legal? I don't know. <laughs> but it's just a tradition, you know, that, 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 that you eat turkey on that day, you know? And you pass it on. It's just how we do it. It's just meaningful to, to, to some. But, you know, in Indonesia, they don't, they don't really know that we're eating turkey over here. Uh, probably not. Most of them don't. Some of them might. But it's just a custom. You see, and, and Pilate was reducing faith and truth and life. Given from the, the Father, from the source, this, this tradition that represents the whole millennia for millennia witness to the truth and he's reducing it just to their truth you know out in the world these days it's a mantra live your truth have you heard this live your truth it's kind of like it's like the only doctrine that uh that everybody agrees to i mean most people think of doctrine as dogmatic or something that you know is just sort of forced on other people but 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 everybody seems to agree that everybody has a truth some subjective thing that that centers their life and it just happens to be yours that one happens to be yours live your truth and it's just amazing to me that that people cannot recognize the contradiction in living your truth just only subjectively. If it's, if it's only a subjective truth, then it, it, there's no way it has anything to do with ultimate reality. It might not even have to do with partial reality. It's like, live your truth, and I can hear Indigo Montoya saying, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, you know? I mean, imagine like a couple of skydivers, and they're up in the plane, and they've been you know, waiting to get to elevation and they're debating something that a friend of theirs has done and one of them, you know, the, the, the first friend says, you know, what business is it of yours? It's their life. They're living their truth. And the, the, the second friend says, well, you know, I, I just don't think this is good for him. I don't think this is good for him. It's not that I want something from him. I don't think this is good for him. It's, if, if it's good, then it's good for. And if it's good for, it's good. And they, they're flying along, and the first friend says to the second friend, uh, tell me on your altimeter, are we up to the jumping height? And he says, what does it matter? Go live your truth. Jump. Live your truth. If truth is truth, then it's truth for all, for the whole, not the part. If our faith is not centered upon truth, if it's not centered upon transcendence, if it's not centered upon something that endures, that lines up with ultimate reality. See, faith is not a coping mechanism for, for, for denial through denial and optimism. Faith helps us to face reality. It's a resource for dealing with ourselves, with God, with our mortality, with the day. This is what it means to receive from the source the whole of life and not just the part. You see, as a result, and Jesus is saying, those who know the truth, they're listening to my voice. And as a result, there's a benefit to us. There's a benefit that, that when we're lined up with the good, we're lined up with what's true and good and right. It's good for us. And of course, we're going to want that 
for other people. Not from them. Not having an attitude or a chip or I know you and you don't or I'm better and you're worse or uh, I'm informed and you're ignorant, but this is what we want for people. Because why? Because the truth has set us free. And when you have that sense that your life is centered upon something that endures, it does free you. It does free you. Because it's the whole and not just the part. Finally, when we receive from the source this whole of life, when we feel the sense of freedom that life has a source and that all things are ordered centered upon that truth. There is a freedom to share, to share life, to share all of life, to be generous, to be generous in the way we engage with people, to be joyfully giver, giving of ourselves in our time, to be those who, who can... You know, I had this experience recently where um, somebody thought I didn't know something, I just didn't say it. I didn't care. I just didn't. Somebody asked me. It was sort of a command performance, and I just, I just didn't say it. And later, I don't know if I'm describing this story but very, very well, but, but later, the way that he referenced that situation was just so generous. He, he assumed I didn't know. Now, I knew what it was. I knew the answer to the question, but I didn't say it. And the way that he navigated that was just in a way that he assumed I didn't know it, so he didn't want to call any attention to that fact. And I just noticed this, and I thought, that is so generous. He didn't know the, the, the backstory and all this, but he, he, he just was so kind in the way that he dealt with this situation when, he re- when, when it was referenced again. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm not filling in all the details, but you understand that this is about a matter of a heart. It's about a, an, a posture, an attitude that gives us an outward-facing joy to give, to be givers, to be generous in our spirit. <laughs> Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? You, know, it's, it's, it, you can almost sort of see him grunting it. <laughs> what is truth, right? Because it, the passage says, you know, the, the next verse, he just says that, well, he just went out after that. That was the end of the conversation. It was just sort of an abrupt, what is truth? You see the cynicism? You see the way he views truth, not as something life-giving, but as a tool to be used for manipulation or a weapon to get what I want. This is Pilate's view of truth because they haven't received it from the source, the whole of life. Truth is just something cynically to be used, a tool, a lever to pull to get what I want. And you can see him desperate to figure this out. You know, it's very much like this story. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's, it really captures the essence of, of what it means to be free to give instead of using, seeing truth as something and reality as something that just is to be manipulated or our goods, our time, our treasure, our, our talent as something to, to get more of what we want, but to have the freedom to hold life like this rather than like this. It's the story of the king and the carrot. And the king was sitting on his throne one day and a farmer came and paid tribute to him and brought, he said, brought this massive carrot, 
said, this is the biggest carrot that, that my farm has ever grown. I just wanted you to have it. I mean, it's amazing. I just can't even believe that this carrot, that, that I was even capable of growing this carrot. And so I just want to celebrate by giving it to you. Seeing his heart of generosity, the king said, I want you to have more land. And he gave him acre upon acre of land for him to oversee. Because he could see he was a good steward. Because he could see his heart of generosity. Well, one of his courtiers at court saw this exchange. And he thought, if, if he gives great lands for a small gift, what would he give for a great one? And so he went home and he got his best horse. And he said, this is the best horse that, um, that my stables have ever produced. Take it with my gratitude. The king received it and dismissed him. And seeing the look of the downcast look on his face and the confusion, he said, I can see that, um, that you're disappointed in my response. You see, the farmer yesterday gave me the carrot, but you just gave yourself the horse. The difference between somebody who has experienced life from the source, the whole of life, is somebody who, who now has nothing to earn by giving. There's not one hair, not one cell, not one second of your life that can be earned or changed because of your earning, your giving. There's nothing you can do to earn more of God's love or to diminish his love for you. Do you see, follow this, only people who have received unmerited favor are in the position to be true givers, generous givers, free givers. Only people who cannot earn anything by giving can give truly without trying to pull the levers of power, without trying to manipulate through gift, the gift, through the gesture, through generosity, with no strings attached, with no interest in what's being, uh, what's being done with that gift, except to bless someone else, except to be a part of a bigger thing. This is what God wants for us, not from us, to have the freedom John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said this, you have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. You've not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. You see, this is why Jesus said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What are we, what, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that, that being a giver is like unto simply loving. Loving God back for loving you. And so I invite you, this season of giving, of thanksgiving, know the source. Revel in that source. Know it fully and well that the whole of life, not the part, the whole of life comes from him, that you may be free to give. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for it.
every good and perfect gift that comes from you. Would you help us, Lord, to receive it with an open hand? Freely you have given. Freely may we give that the posture we have in life would be one of confidence, of non-anxious presence, pointing beyond ourselves to a kingdom that is not of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.